we are live. Welcome to Spiritpreneur School with Aviola Abrams. This episode of Spiritpreneur School is sponsored by my free Spiritpreneur Success class. Head over to sacredbombshell.com. I've got a free class on how you can turn your passions and your purpose into programs and products. You can sign up there or at well, at sacredbombshell.com, of course, is where you can sign up, or at tinyurl slash abiola free class. That's T I N Y U R L dot com slash abiola free class. This episode is also sponsored by a brand new self help memoir named The Puzzle Pieces of Me How to Find Yourself love yourself and live the life of your dreams by Liv J. Simpson. She is known as the self-discovery diva. She is a transformational speaker. She is the inside out coach and she is our guest today on Spiritpreneur School. Hello, Liz. Hi, everyone and everyone else. Thank you for having me. I feel so blessed and humbled. Oh, well, I'm so glad that you're here. You have a new book. So much is going on. But before we get into that, I gave a very brief bio of who you are. Tell us in your own words, who is Liz J. Simpson? Yes, um, I am a woman survivor of abuse. And I have used that to become a women's empowerment speaker and author and coach for other survivors of abuse. And I'm just a mother and um a wife that really loves and is enamored with the power and beauty of women and just want to be a vessel to mirror to them their greatness. So that's me. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. I feel that you are doing that in such a big way that I talk a lot, as you know, about stepping into your greatness, about stopping playing small and getting out of your own way. And you and your life have been such a beautiful demonstration and continue to be of doing that. So you talked a little bit about your past, but I want to talk about the present for now. Um, you have an exciting new initiative. Your focus is coaching other women, entrepreneurs who are abuse survivors. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. So I am so excited. This was such a big journey for me, you know, talking about coming into your light and acknowledging your purpose. And as an abuse survivor, I really didn't want to talk about it. That's not something I really wanted to stand in. But life and the journey has shown me that that's exactly where I'm meant to be. So I'm finally owning that. But I work with women um, who have survived abuse and also specifically entrepreneurs. When you're trying to build a business, I love the quote that says, you don't build a business, the business builds you. And there's so many internal things that show up for us as entrepreneurs, and specifically for women who are survivors, they also have you know, some additional challenges when they still have internal scars that are still residing from their past. So I work with them in coaching them to acknowledge and own their own self-worth, but also finding how to build a brand from that. And so the biggest thing that I'm excited about where I'm focusing 100% of my energy is my group called Diva Survivors. So Diva Survivors is a global platform that I'm creating where it's a monthly membership. And so we have trainings on abundance and how to receive and be open to abundance and fulfillment. So working with mindset, uh, love, finding love after leaving. So really just creating this for lack of a better word, huge Netflix playground for women who have survived abuse to kind of help them come into their own and, and live their best life full of love, abundance, and fulfillment. So that's 
something that's really special to me and I'm excited about. Beautiful, beautiful Liz. It is so needed what you are doing. Um, that last night I actually had the experience of speaking with this wonderful woman and I told her about you and about the work that you're doing that after, as you know, I had the free spiritpreneur success class last night and I had this idea that, um, because the class is to celebrate the launch of my new, um, create your your own spiritpreneur um, signature program that's coming up. And I had this idea after I got off the call, like I was so jazzed up, I was like, I'm just gonna call everyone who just signed up for the big program and just welcome them, impromptu, late night. <laughs> and so I called this one woman and she started crying and she told me, she was like, no one has ever said congratulations to me for anything, like no one in her entire adult life has ever said the words to her, congratulations, I'm proud of you, this is awesome. And you know, she shared with me, yeah, my heart went like that too. She shared with me that she had been a domestic violence survivor and I told her about your work. Have you spoken with a lot of other women Is that who, who have been through you? I would imagine you telling your story is giving a lot of other women permission to share their stories. Is that the case? Yeah. When I wrote, when I wrote my book, so I thought I was alone. And it's crazy because we know the statistics. Like I knew over one in three women have experienced abuse in their lifetime. But because we don't talk about it, I still felt like I was in my own silo. So it's interesting how the moment that I've taken a stand and said, okay, well, my voice is for survivors. I meet them everywhere, um, which sometimes like tugs on my heartstrings, which makes me sad because it's like, why, why are there so many of us? Um, but it also makes me realize like, okay, I'm a part of a community and we just need to find one another. But I get that all the time. That's um, what was really an eye opener for me is just about everywhere I go, when I tell someone what I do and who I work with, about 80% of the time that woman will identify herself as an abuse uh, victim. Um, and it's interesting because um, I also was one of those people that um, judged a book by its cover. And so I would meet, you know, all these prominent women who are leaders, you know, Fortune 500 companies or, you know, bad entrepreneurs that are kicking butt in life. And then I'll talk to them and I'll realize that they're going home and they're still dealing with, you know, scars from the past. And like you said, some of the simplest things, like they don't believe their own beauty or, you know, they're, they're always discounting something um, because of words somebody else has used them in the past. So I find that a lot. I find it's, it's sad to me, which makes me want to like stand up louder and speak up because there's so many people who um, are it's like a veil, there's this masquerade, they're, they're really um, hiding some internal scars that are suffocating them. Um, and they're right in front of us and we don't even know it. Um, so yeah, I, I hear it a lot. Unfortunately, I get the horror stories that sometimes I get off the phone and I'm like on my knees, you know? Yes, <laughs> you know? yes. But um, it's funny because my husband just had to talk to me last week because I had a call with the client, uh, with someone I respect and adore, but hearing her story and, and still the stuff she's dealing with internally, you know, I, I felt paralyzed. And so my husband was like, you know, if you're going to pull someone from the mud, you can't come out without getting dirty. And mm. so, um, you know, that's something where I have to really be conscious of my energy and do my own internal work so I can continue to pull people out and not get stuck myself. But 
Yes. Yeah, it's it's sad, you know, over one in three women and then, you know, black women are three times as likely um, to be murdered as the cause of domestic violence. So it's something real, it's something that's happening right around us, but it's not comfortable to talk about. So there's a lot of women who are hiding behind that and hurting Yes, yes, it's so important um, that also the work that you do in order to ground and protect yourself and protect your energy. And we'll, we, we, we can talk about that, you know, a little bit later. Um, I think that this is a really good time, Liz, for you to share with us what your story is, how you went from being this like bright, brilliant, beautiful college student to living in a shelter and being, you know, with your, with your baby. Please share with us your story. Sure. So I was um, in college. I was starting my sophomore year of college and it was this summer and um, I met a young man and we started dating and I was in a transitional period in my own life where I was questioning myself, right? So I was already not in the right headspace with my own confidence and my own self-worth. And he was someone who was a leader and um, you know, very charismatic and pouring into me. So I started dating him and um, a few months later, um, he put his hands on me for the first time. We were um, outside and next thing I know, I was on the ground and he was on top of me and he was just um, abusing me. And so I decided that after that, okay, this is done. You know, first time you put your hands on me, I'm gone. So it was um, around New Year's Eve, so I went home um, and was there for a few weeks and told family and told friends what was going on. And um, however, during that break, I found out I was six weeks pregnant. So I found out I was actually pregnant the first time he put his hands on me. And a big misnomer and misunderstanding about abuse is a lot of people don't realize that um, abuse escalates once you leave. So although I decided that our relationship was over, now that I was pregnant, with his child, things escalated. And actually, pregnant women are also one of the largest demographics of abuse victims as well, which a lot of people don't know um, as well. So that's when it turned into life-threatening domestic violence, even though we weren't in a relationship, stalking. Um, and then eventually, it led up to the kidnapping of my daughter, um, which was like the last uh, straw for me. Um, so thankfully, this story um, ends. That was 10 years ago. So thankfully, I was able to flee. I stayed in a domestic violence shelter for nine months with my infant daughter. And that was my, what I thought, rock bottom at the time to start over. Um, and then that started my journey of just trying to survive, like trying to discard all, all the shame, like trying to live a life where I could prove myself worthy again. Um, and that's kind of how that journey started, that was 10 years ago, and now I'm back, giving back to survivors. But that was my story. Mm. And when when you told people around you, Liz, what had happened, and then the situation escalated and it got worse, did they know that the situation escalated and, and had gotten worse as it was going on? Um, it, some people did, many didn't. I was really ashamed of what was going on, so, only like a handful of people even knew I was in a battered women's shelter. I just fell off the map socially, literally, uh, for those nine months. Um, there were some people, because he was very charismatic, there were some people who were like, not him. He's, they like thought I was lying, you know? So there was a lot of shame in that, and that's also why I isolated myself more, because it was really hard for people to wrap their brain around this, the, 
the character he portrayed in public and mm -hmm. the scenes that he's doing in, in private. How were you able to get yourself out of that? What was the mental shift of getting yourself out of that situation? I think one of the first shifts that was really big for me was actually being in a shelter. Um, because being in shelter, for nine months, I was you know, there longer than most people. So I saw you know, the revolving door of women. And I saw that, OK, this woman is older and you know, well off, and this woman's young and doesn't have a penny to her name. Like I started realizing that I'm not alone. It's not because I'm some new, brand new you know, fool. It's, there's a lot of women going through this, and and as I understood, like these are the characteristics. This is the grooming process. This is how it happens. Kind of, kind of shed. It helped me to stop feeling like an anomaly, and mm -hmm. therefore realize that there's many other options. I'm not the only person who's been through it, so therefore I can't just sit here and cry in my milk. There is a life still to be lived. Um, so that helped me, and then. You know, reading, the power of prayer and meditation, there's a lot of other things as well. But mm -hmm. the big thing, I think, with shelter, it helped me to see that um, there's a lot of women going through this. Yes, yes. And you had a baby. You also yeah. had, you know, a baby. And so I would imagine that, you know, that that, that is an instant wake-up call yeah. that, okay, life has to change. <laughs> this little one who, you know, is here born and needs, you know, needs mommy at the top yeah. of her game. Yeah, so I want her to believe in her dreams. So that was a big thing. Um, like in the climax really was when he kidnapped her. That is when like... How did he kidnap her? What happened? Uh, it, <laughs> so um, when she was two, what would happen is because we lived in different states and it wasn't safe, for in order for him to maintain a relationship with our daughter, I would drop my daughter off at his mom's house. And then he could see her for a couple days and I'd pick her up from his mom's house so I could avoid mm -hmm. contact with him. Right. And and his, did his mom know what what was going on? She did, yes. She actually witnessed it um, um, before, so she was very clear on what was going on. But that was still her son. You know, she still sided with her baby and I didn't really expect much else. Um, but this particular time, uh, it was right before my daughter's second birthday, and he was supposed to have her for a week, and then I came to pick her up as normal, and all of a sudden, nobody knew where she was. It was just like this whole scavenger haunt around town, and me calling 911, and because um, there's a whole story, I talk about this in the book, it's really strategic what he did and how he manipulated it, but the same day, he had just put his name on the birth certificate, and if both names are on the birth certificate and there's not a custody order, then they can't prosecute. So it was this whole loophole. So for months, it was that was literally the darkest hell of my life is for months wondering if and when I'm going to see my daughter again. Um, but him choosing that action when we did finally get to court um, is what really um, allowed the judge to see the abuse, see what was going on, the manipulation inside in my favor for custody. But yes, that was very wow. difficult. Really yeah. Wow. <laughs> that is that is an incredible story. My goodness, Liz. I think that, yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting how you are being used now in your calling with all that you went through. You know, I'm sure when you were in the middle of that, that you couldn't imagine that, okay, here is the, you know, the greater purpose of it. 
Yeah, it's it's even funny now that I can smile talking about it. It just for me, it's um, my own sign of growth and emotional healing because I'm like, wow, that all things come together for the good. And if someone had said that to me then, I probably would have slapped them. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but, now, but now it's like, wow, I'm so thankful. There's, I think it was a Kurt Cobain quote I had read. It said, thank you for your trauma. It helped me with my art. And so yeah. now it's just like, oh, you know, I realized that we all have stories. You know, it's part of the human condition. We're all going to go through something, you know. And there's no competition amongst our sob stories. That's mine. We all have a sob story, but it's what we do with it and, and how do we use that to contribute to the greater good. So that's yes. what I choose to focus on. And today you are married not to the same person, to an amazing man that you met earlier, uh, briefly, right? Tell us about you meeting. I, your, I know you cover all of this in the book, but about you your husband and. <laughs> I um, met my husband online. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I met him online and um, he is truly my best friend. Um, I've, I've learned that, it's, especially when I speak with my clients, it is so important for us to do the work on ourselves, you know, the inner work, you know, just understanding energy and we accept the love that we believe we're worthy of and, and all of that. And thankfully, I met my husband right in the midst of where I was really working on my own self-discovery journey. And I was really unapologetically showing up you know, um, authentically in my life. And so I'm thankful for that because I know that's why I was able to attract him and why we were attracted to one another. And I realized that I would have never embraced or accepted such a great love had I not been in that place of, of yes. being open to that. So he's amazing. Um, and I'm thankful for that. It's a blessing. Beautiful, beautiful. And you're cute together, just witnessing you in that brief space of time. You guys are adorable together. You have a question coming in, and I want to invite people uh, and remind you, you can ask questions if you're watching this live on the blue Q&A box, which is right under the player on the main page, um, which you can also access at tinyurl.com slash Liz Inside Out. All right, so this question is from Denise. When did you decide you wanted to work in the area of empowerment? So what was the journey from what you were going through to knowing that this was your field? Sure. So I, it was through a coach and mentor. I am a huge advocate of mentors and coaches of someone seeing something in you at times that you can't see it for yourself. So I'm huge on that. Um, and before this journey, I didn't even understand the purpose of a coach. And now I'm like, everybody needs a coach. Um, but for me, okay, so I'll kind of tell you what happened. After the abuse, um, I was lying to myself and I was in denial of the internal scars I had. And so what I was pursuing was a life that looked good and was pleasing to others. So I wanted the house, I wanted the kids, I wanted the money, I wanted the career. So I started living a life, I started living in pursuit of a life that um, looked good for others. And so I found myself at this milestone of where I had hit a pinnacle of my career. I had the financial success that I wanted. I had the husband and the kids and I was still miserable. There were still nights that I couldn't sleep. There were still nights, I have journal entries of me just crying for no reason. And I realized my soul was crying out because I was settling. I was so busy living a life that looked good. I wasn't living a life that I was um, designed to embody. And so in that I started seeking out like, 
what is going on? And so I met um, my mentor, and that's about a year and a half ago, honestly. I met my mentor, um, and I realized, like, my whole life, I've, my whole life, I've always written about empowerment. I've always been a writer. Um, I've always envisioned speaking. My father was a pastor, and so I kind of feel like I come from this generation of people speaking and pouring into others. I always wanted it. Um, but it wasn't until I met my mentor and he really saw it in me. And I was like, you see that? Because I could have sworn I've been seeing that my whole life, too. Yeah. Um, and then being at a place where I'm like, you know what? You've lived life according to the status quo, and that doesn't make you happy. So why not do the thing you've always wanted to and see how that works out? So it's been about a year and a half to answer your question that I've been in the empowerment space. And that was my journey of realizing that playing life by others rules isn't making you happy so why don't you show up for yourself yes excellent excellent and did we know that we were past we were both preachers kids i can't remember did i don't know, know i don't know that i think we knew that but hey all right <laughs> so ayana says uh how well to to paraphrase what she's saying she's saying how soon after dating your husband did you let him know about your past and how soon do you recommend that women who have been abused tell someone that they're dating about their experience um it was pretty early on um i'm pretty transparent in dating i don't do the masquerade for long i had a daughter i don't have time to play games with these yes <laughs> So I'm I'm not a big proponent of showing up with a mask when you're dating someone. It doesn't mean that on the first date I'm like telling you all my problems. <laughs> but but um, in conversation, you know, one of the things I loved about my husband is that he was my friend from the beginning. It sounds so cliche, but we talked. We spent hours on the phone just talking about our experiences. And so that was a big part of my experience. Um, being an abuse survivor, it was important for a man to know that because I always knew there was a risk for my abuser to show back up. Um, I knew that there were, I know that that was a part of my journey and um, in healing. So I told him very early um, and everybody has a story, as I say. So thankfully, um, he could understand and relate and um, it went well from there. So I told him early to answer your question. Angelina wants to know, Liz, she says, as your abuser is the father of your child, is he still in your life today? He's not. And that was a really um, difficult decision for me. I mean, um, difficult is probably not the word. That was an agonizing decision for me. I talk about that in my book because um, I was raised in a two-parent home, and I believe um, in the power of men being in um, children's lives. And so... Um, the reason why for two years I went against my better judgment and still allowed my abuser in my daughter's life was because I wanted my daughter to know her father. But after the kidnapping, the gloves really came off um, because I realized that I was responsible for my daughter's safety and I had to be the adult in that. And so therefore I bear the cross for lack of a better word of deciding that it's not safe. And when she's an adult, she can make a decision to reconnect with him. But what I will not regret is something happening to my daughter. Um, I, I would never be able to live with that. So I choose instead to live with separating her. Um, and then also give you that, it had been eight years, you know, when this journey, 
after he kidnapped her, it's been eight years that I never heard from him um, because of order protection and all of that. He couldn't find me. I've moved states. I've moved several times. Um, but in deciding to do this work and put myself out there, I also took a life risk myself because yes. now I'm out there. People are getting to know me. So actually, last week was the first time in eight years that he found me, and that was coming full circle and realizing that, oh my gosh, you know, this is really scary. You know, by standing up for other women, I'm also kind of put a bullseye on myself. Um, so no, he's not in my daughter's life. Um, and for the past eight years, he had no way of finding us. Um, he recently has found a way to connect with us. And I still stand by, by my decision to let my daughter be an adult before I rekindle them. With him contacting you, Liz, did it feel like there was at least an evolution in his thought? Like, wow, look what you're doing. No. That was scary. The, um, I wanted that so bad, Abiola. Like, I talk about that in my book, too. Like, I dream of, I want it to be wrong. Like, I wanted him to prove me wrong. Like, let me feel like a fool for separating my daughter from you. Like, let me find out that you're this amazing man who did a 180 and you're doing great things. And so, um, when he reached out about a, oh my gosh, like we're gonna have two weeks ago, this is really fresh. Um, he was still, um, one of my assistants answered the line because he found the business line and he was really antagonistic and rude and called like nine times and was belligerent. So it was really disappointing um, and, and sad. You know, it was really sad. And he didn't know he was on speaker, so it was my daughter's first time hearing her father's voice. Oh, oh, I'm sorry that you had that experience, Liz. Thank you. It was difficult, but you know, it just, it really, um, it helped me to realize how important my work is in working with victims, survivors, and safety planning. Um, because we say survivor as if, you know, when you're a survivor of abuse, it's not something that like goes away. Like I survived and now all is well. It's, it's a journey. It's, it's a never ending road. Um, you never know um, the next time you can meet um, a person who might show signs of being a perpetrator or when the abuser can try to show back in your life. Um, I have a client who um, the abuser was in jail, but with him dying in jail, you would like, she had a whole breakdown around that, you know, like just this process of now he's passed away, now what do I do? So um, just my work is like, I know it's not the most fun subject, but I want survivors to live their best lives. And in doing so, we really got to unveil ourselves and kind of like peel the bandage off and see what's going on so we can do the internal work. Yes, it's it's so important. It's so important, and it's such a taboo conversation, particularly yeah. in our community and communities of color. You know, I remember I had this experience. This is a long time ago now, and I, I forgot about it until we're having this conversation. That many years ago, um, I I used to direct, write, and direct short art films. I'll send you the link to this. I did a film named Ophelia's Opera that won a bunch of awards. It's an experimental film about this um, woman dealing with abuse and you know what and and you know it's magical realism so what she does you know to her abuser and i remember during the course of filming it that my cameraman you know who was a black man he got really upset because the abuser in the film was a black man and the uh you know the cast was black and he felt like 
you know, I don't know if we need another portrayal of black men like this. And it, we went from having a film set to, you know, us sitting down and me really, you know, guiding us through having a coaching group, you know, because as you know, when you're a coach, you you, re- you look back and realize you've always been a coach with whatever you were doing before, you know? And so we had this conversation as a cast, primarily people of color, you know, men and women, you know, and me explaining, you know, you, um, I understand that you feel like you don't need this story, but there are women who need to tell this story. Yes. You know? So, so you know, it, it was this very interesting dynamic where, you know, we feel like, oh, well, we've got to protect certain groups, but what about your protection? What about our agency as, you know, women, as individuals and your right to tell your story, your right to say, this happened to me, I experienced this. And so, you know, it was a very interesting, you know, kind of backlash within that where he felt like, you know, you know, like it's a dynamic. Yeah. Have you run into any of that? I completely understand that. I've not had, um, I've had some people who have said, well, you know, men are victims too. And and I do talk about that. However, I even talk about this in my book. Um, I understand enough about my calling on my life to understand I'm not for everybody. And I have men in my life who are um, survivors of abuse. And um, I cheer for them and um, want their healing as much as anyone else. But as far as me as um, a coach and as a guide spiritually, my love and my devotion is really to healing the woman. Um, that's just where my passion is. And so I've had people who've talked about that and um, I don't take any value away from any um, survivor of, you know, who's been taken advantage of. Um, as far as men, um, there are sometimes when, when you stand for abuse of four women that people think you're, you know, male bashing or what have you. Um, I am, I am like the huge, hugest cheerleader for black men. Like, so anyone who knows me personally is like, what are you talking about? Like Liz in her whole life has always been huge. I have an amazing father and so I, I love men. Um, but just like anything, what happens regardless of if it's history or what have you, when we try to um, blur the truth, we really hurt the victim, you know? And so I don't have to, how do I say this? I don't have to um, blur the lines of my story in order to cheer on black men because if you listen to my story, black men um, are heroes in my story, in the whole story, regardless of how many um, negative characters that you know there may be in my story. There's some great black men, so I don't feel like I have to, you know, deal with that. Yes. Problem too is. Um, cycles and patterns. Abuse to me is just, it's a relationship issue. And we see our first forms of relationships in the home. And so for black women to be one of the largest demographics of women who are abused, we have to deal with the fact that as a culture, we have a relationship issue going on. And and what are the signs behind that? What's happening? Um, What's going on inside of us that these type of relationship issues are finding themselves in our homes? And that's a real honest discussion. Um, Even for me, I had a really, I did not know my mother was a survivor of domestic violence. Um, My parents are each other's second marriage. Mm -hmm. And um, my mom is from like older Southern thought where you really protect your children from adult issues. You know, the kids are at the table and the adults are at the big table. 
And so she didn't tell me really about her story. And I grew up seeing her in her second marriage with my father. And I just saw this beautiful relationship. And that's, you know, all I saw. However, now that I stand for, you know, victims of abuse and I do all these stories, my mom has caught me crying at times saying that, wow, listening to you was pulling the bandage off of something that happened 36 wow. years ago. And what's interesting is that I didn't know her story and I repeated it. Yes, patterns and pathologies as young. Like our fears are passed through our chromosomes. Like, so what we don't realize is that even when you don't talk about something, you're hurting those you love because you unknowingly pass on those patterns. And so yeah. I love my people too much to pass that pattern on anymore. So yes, well said. Right? So yeah, I stuck on your last sentence. Please repeat that. I said, I love, oh, you heard that part. I love my people too much to pass on that pattern. So therefore I stand for the truth so that we can create healthy relationships and heal our communities. Yes. Well said, well said. And you, you said, you touched on this, you know, at the beginning of this conversation that there is often amongst, you know, various oppressed groups, a competition for suffering, you know, like, well, I went through this. Well, I went, you know, when we real have to realize we're all in it together and, you know, we either all stand together or fall together and it's being on the side of healing and evolution is the side we're on. It's not about being on the side of this one or that one. We're on the side of all moving forward and evolving yeah. into our best selves together. Healthy love, healthy love. Healthy love, love. yes. Relationships. <laughs> yes, oh my gosh, absolutely, absolutely. You have another question. This is from Esmeralda. Hello, Esmeralda, I love your name. She, said, she wants to know if you, Basically, are you working with only domestic violence victims or when you say abuse, do you include sexual abuse as well? Yes, yeah, so I'm great. glad she brought that point up. When I talk about abuse, I talk about physical, emotional, sexual, financial, there's even spiritual abuse. Yes. Um, I work with survivors of abuse as a whole and I am a survivor of all of those forms of abuse. So um, there are some people who in their experience you know, may only deal with sexual, but there's always psychological. There's, everyone deals with psychological abuse regardless of what it is, but I'm a survivor of all of those in, in the course of my relationship with my ex, all of those things showed up. So um, to answer your question, I work with all. Yes, and what is your current self-care, Liz? Like, what do you do to maintain, because to do this big work and this big calling, you know, your husband put it so profoundly that, you know, you have got to be, you've got to ground yourself and learn how to take care of yourself, learn how to cut those cords when it's over and be able to close the doors, which is hard as an entrepreneur already because your yeah. business, your life, and you are your brand and all of those things. What is your self-care woman? I'm asking now. You know, as a woman who cares about you, sister to sister, what is your self-care and your self-maintenance, the self-discovery diva? It's a lot. So um, nature, I love nature. I live, it's warm here year-round in San Antonio, Texas. So I spend a lot of time at parks. There's a Japanese tea garden that has flowing water that I love. Um, I'll just go and walk around. Um, I'm an introvert, so I love my time. You know, I do a lot of journaling. Yeah. Um, and writing, even when it's not journaling, I just write. Um, I do meditation. Um, I've read 80 books in the past year. I'm a book nerd. Um, I go on retreats. I go on conferences. Um, 
I have masterminds with other sisters. I, I believe in sisterhood. I pour my heart out. I cry a lot by myself and I allow yeah. the tears to flow and I move the heck on with my life, you know? So um, massages, um, I really work in flow. I, I'm really one of those people that if I wake up one morning and I'm like, you know, you don't feel good, you know, work through, I, I allow myself that. And I'm also the person that sometimes I work in flow to four in the morning. I just allow my body and I trust my intuition and I stand in that. Um, and I'm learning to discern to say no. That's really something that's been a challenge for me. Um, saying no, even with clients and even discerning that, um, I've learned that I am not really for the woman who's still in abuse. Um, I have resources, I work with social workers, I work with psychologists, and so women who are still in it, even though my heart bleeds for them, I have to say that, you know, there's other resources I can turn to and, and direct you to, um, but I learned to discern to stand for the woman who's left um, and is tired of the facade of got it all together and realizes it's time to do her internal work, so. It's a lot. It's a constant journey. <laughs> okay, good, good. I'm very happy to hear that. Very happy to hear that. How far away is Fort Worth from, where did you say you are? You're in? San Antonio, Texas. San Antonio. So, How far is that from Dallas? The reason five hours. Five hours. Okay, the reason I'm asking is that I know someone just through social media recently who opened up some a center or something in, I think it was Dallas, because I was telling her that next year I definitely want to, you know, to do a tour, a self-worth tour. And so maybe there's something we can collaborate on with her center and oh, all of that stuff. So um, that, her center, I think it was called, I want to say Mariposa's Garden, but I'm not sure. But I think Mariposa's Garden in Dallas may be the name of it. Okay, so here's a question from Carlana. Carlana says, Liz, what would you say to women who want to use their story to empower others? What one message do you think they need to hear? <sighs> uh, um, I tell them to share it. You know, I, I beg of women to share their stories. Um, but I also advise them to be prepared for when you share it. You know, um, be, um, you have to be in the right place when you share your story. Um, Healing-wise, um, especially in this day of social media, you may get responses um, that you weren't expecting from people. In my case, sharing my story um, made me accessible for my abuser to find me. Um, so the scale that you share it um, is, I advise you to be careful on the scale and make sure you're prepared for that. However, when it comes to sharing it with other women and, um, and being a voice, I beg of women to do that, not only to liberate others, but to liberate yourself. Um, there's purging that comes from that. I, because I was not talking, dealing with the abuse, it was really easy for me to feel like I was healed until, until I started writing my book. And when I started writing my book, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, there are certain points I was writing. There were certain things that were really easy for me to write. You know, it's like, okay, that's fine. But there were certain things that I was still hiding. And I was like, wow, you know, I always advise my clients to get curious. You know, emotions are naked, they're true. So there were certain emotions that showed up. I was like, oh, what's that? Okay, that's something I still need to work on, you know? So I definitely guide women to share your story. Um, but, um, 
do not put pressure on yourself or a burden. Um, we put a lot of expectations on ourselves. If I should be able to talk about this, this, and this and not feel anything, don't do that. Just allow yourself to share what you can um, in the season that you are in your life, and you'll grow from there. That was a long answer, but I hope it answered. <laughs> no, that was a beautiful answer, and I'm feeling called to share with you based on what you just said that maybe, you know, part of your next journey or your journey with Puzzle Pieces of Me may be um, doing an, an anthology of women sharing their stories, or maybe your website, you know, a place where people could share their stories and, you know, fellowship and sisterhood might be really, really beautiful and powerful. I received that. Thank you so much. I like that idea. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, since this is Spiritpreneur School, tell us a bit about your business, building your business, and what it looks like today, what the evolution of that has been. <laughs> it's been a true evolution. Um, when I first started and met my mentor, I was um, focusing on just being a speaker. You know, I really just wanted to speak, and you know, you get your 90 minute keynote and you're out. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, and I knew initially that I wanted my brand to be about self-discovery, about, you know, just being authentic and knowing who we are because we, a lot of times we're so busy, we're too busy to figure out who we really are in our lives. So um, I knew I wanted to stand for that. So I started training for speaking um, and the coaching really presented itself. When I would speak, I would meet people who in the corner of the room would be whispering to me like, you know, I'm also a survivor as well. And so... I realized that showing up for 90 minutes and getting off stage um, was not enough for me, you know, and the work that I felt like I was called to do. I wanted to be able um, to be instrumental. So that's how coaching evolved. Um, that's how, that was similar to my experience as well as, yeah. Yeah, that literally it was from doing like speaking, you know, on stages or, you know, going and doing TV things. And then, as you know, women come up to you afterward and whisper something to you or want to work with you or want more. And then you want more, too, because you want to bring them on the journey. That was absolutely my experience. Oh. <laughs> I love it. Yes, that's how it started. And I've always been a writer. My whole life, I've wanted to have my own book. That's one of my original dreams. So um, I did it. When I first started, I was like, I want to write a book. I first thought it'd be fiction, or then I thought I'd do teachings on mindset. I, when I started writing and I was finding myself telling my abuse story, that was a shocker for me. I was like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> Why are you putting this on paper? Mm -hmm. um, so that evolved. And then I thought, because a lot of women entrepreneurs were showing up, I thought, okay, I'm only going to work with female entrepreneurs. Um, then I'm going to see the last two steps where I did, he hit me, which was a 10 week series. So then I was like, let me see if I do things, will survivors show up? Will they be interested? Will they be too afraid to come out of the shadows? So I did this 10 week empowerment series called he hit me where I had 13 guest speakers. I had Nobel prize winners, social workers, psychologists, nonprofit founders. And we just spoke for 10 weeks about issues relating to survivors and domestic violence. And, um, I just, it was like one day I had the idea with the help of my husband. It was actually his idea. And I was like, you're crazy. Um, <laughs> and then two weeks later, we launched it and I had 200 registrants from all over the globe. And that was my aha sign. Like, 
you know, I was nobody as a brand. People didn't know me. It wasn't like people registered because they knew my name. It was because they wanted to talk about domestic violence. So that's when the floodgates opened up and I realized like, this is what I'm meant to do. And so now the last piece is the membership community of, I wanted to have a space for sisterhood where we talked about important issues, but we also, it's understanding that issues relate all levels of our lives. So how do I create a holistic option for a survivor where we can talk about your body, where we can talk about your mindset, we can talk about your business, we can talk about relationships and creating retreats through that, creating coaching through that, group coaching. Um, one of our first group coaching sessions was so powerful. Um, as a coach who does one-on-one, -on -one, it was my first time having survivors on a call and seeing how they healed each other. Like that was just like, wow, let me move out the way. Man. Yes. <laughs> so it's been a beautiful. So now the journey is really um, writing, speaking, and then diva survivors, like growing this global community of women who are committed to living better lives as survivors. Beautiful. I just want to just uh, echo some of the the action steps that you took there that I think will be really helpful for other uh, women and who are wanting to build their business. So you had an an a, a cause that was personal to you mm -hmm. and powerful, something that you wanted to share, and you put together um, you put together you invited other women on board to create the He Hit Me series. Mm -hmm and you put this out there and that attracted your tribe to you who are then people who are interested in that topic and then you could take that tribe and figure out deeper and deeper ways to serve them and yeah. deeper and deeper ways to, to help them to, to evolve. Is yeah. that accurate? That's very accurate. And the key things too are to start before you're ready. Um, Probably part of the reason why I launched it in two weeks is because in the back of my head is I was like, no one's really gonna care. They don't wanna talk about abuse. So um, so I was, for the first time, just willing to throw something out there. Um, and so starting before you're ready is huge. I, my brand could not have evolved if I didn't do things before I was ready. Like you can't, you try to roadmap as an entrepreneur, but it isn't until you take the steps that all of a sudden it's like headlights, headlights, you can only see so far in front of you and you just trust the path and then it reveals itself. Um, so that was big. Um, and then being very naked. Um, it's, it's hard sometimes for people to understand because I show up so comfortably talking about abuse, but just to explain that I honestly thought I could have potentially been making a really bad career move by standing up for domestic violence, but it was on my heart, so I did it anyway. And so I think a lot of people need to hear that, just that if it resonates with you, there's a reason for that, and it'll probably resonate with someone else. Um, and it's okay to be naked and vulnerable because that's how your tribe finds you, is in your authenticity. Yes, yes, well said. And I want to add to that. I think that you're very courageous as well, that there is a lot of courage, you know, not only just on the entrepreneurial scale from just launching and stepping into it, because the biggest, the biggest 
way that we hold ourselves back often is the I'm not ready, you know, story that we tell ourselves. I'm not ready. And we all know people have been getting ready for three, five years, whatever, you know, trying to build their website. I'm not ready, whatever it is. And so, you know, that ready, fire, aim, you know, like I'm going to launch, put it out there and then figure it out, I think is really, really powerful, really powerful. And even, you know, when, you know, the way that you reach out to people, like you said, you had Nobel Prize winners and the way that you reached out to me, you know, you wrote me this heartfelt letter and I get so much mail and so much stuff and, you know, and you having the courage to be like, hey, sis, here's what I'm doing, you know, I want you to be a part of it, I think is just really powerful. And I think that that is a really important piece, you know, for the women who are listening to this to know with whatever you're doing, that courage piece. And without, and it's not about, when we talk about courage, I think a lot of people think it's about you sit by yourself and, and do your work and wait until you feel mm -hmm. brave. Or you wait until you feel courageous, because we're human, you know? And fear is natural. It's a natural part of the human experience. And so don't sit around waiting not to be afraid before you do what you've got to do. And it's so, fear is so a cliche, you know, I call it ironic. Fear is so ironic because the only way to really master fear, sometimes I don't like that phrase, but the only way to master fear is really to just do what's uncomfortable. It's like, right. all right, I'm still afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway. And when I, when I look in the past year, I feel like I've grown exponentially in the past year more than I have in 10 years combined. And I believe a part of that is because every day it's like, okay, this scares the mess out of me, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then it's like, oh, like, so now I'm talking to you and I'm talking about things as if they're not a big deal. But before I did them, they were paralyzing, you know, but that's the only way we get over it. Because after a while, you're like, well, everything's going to scare me, but I might as well do it anyway. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Here's another question for you, Liz. This one is from Keisha. Keisha wants to know, how do you help your clients who have been sexually abused, who are still haunted by that unwanted touch, and who are now in a loving relationship, but still feel uncomfortable being touched? Good question, Keisha. That's a great question. <clears throat> one of the first things I make sure with every client, too, is that... Um, in my journey, therapy and counseling was one of the first steps. So I did work with a therapist uh, for years initially when I first left my abuser. So um, for all of you, they've never had a formal form of like therapy or counseling. I do encourage that if there are some things that are just really um, terrorizing them mentally that they need to work through. Um, but even with most survivors, there seems to be this uncomfortability, this discomfort in their body, in their image with themselves. So um, I can actually relate. Um, for me, it showed up in promiscuity, which is really mm -hmm. strange. I'm not going to get a little sexual, and I hope that's okay for a moment. But yeah. I realized that um, part of my abuse, what the pattern was happening is I was promiscuous for a period, and I realized I was promiscuous without satisfying myself. So mm -hmm. it's like an act of doing but I wasn't getting satisfaction out of it. So I really learned that um, with my clients to work with um, getting comfortable in their body. So we do exercises like, you know, I want you to stand naked in front of the mirror and, and journal what you think and what your thoughts are. Or, you know, when we talk about self-care and self-pampering, sexuality is a part of that. Like, 
um, yeah. talking about masturbation, talking about your body, um, and things like that. So, depending on where someone where someone is in their journey, you know, we might start with just in the privacy of your own room, you know, um, unveiling yourself, putting on lingerie, and sleeping on satin sheets, and just kind of like being in tune and and finding pleasure again, um, because I feel like everything that happens internally projects itself into our relationships and things. So when you like now, I like, I can be by myself and feel really sexy. You know what I mean? Like I, yes. <laughs> I can be by myself and, and I can please myself alone and knowing that and knowing my body and feeling good in my body allow makes it better so that when I'm with my husband, like, I can guide him on how to please me. I can please him and I enjoy it for myself. So to answer her question, that would kind of be the process of really getting in tune with yourself, enjoying your body by yourself for yourself before you can then invite and enjoy it with someone else. Beautiful, beautiful. Daisy wants to know what is your, how do I, it's, it's a long thing, so I'm trying to figure out to paraphrase it. Um, she wants to know what is your, I guess, oh, she's wanting to know what you've told your children about your abuse. Oh. What is it? What is it? What's your daily abuse? Yeah. My, um, so sometimes my children have been with me at speaking engagements where I'm very vocal about, um, the abuse I've endured. So they hear it. Um, my children are ten and are, are ten and eleven right now, and the journey's been um, as they grow older. I give them more details. Um, initially, the conversation was just that not mommy and dad, not all mommy and daddies work out and get along, and um, your mommy and daddy um, didn't get along and work out, and I didn't trust daddy and I didn't feel safe. So therefore, um, we're not together. I hope I didn't lose my phone. My computer was acting up. Um, that was initially the story. Now they know. I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on with my MacBook. Um, but now they know um, that abuse is a part of the story. Um, I've allowed my children. They're welcome to read my book should they choose. They're 10 and 11, so they don't seem too excited to read the chapter book right now. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I tell them that I'm an abuse survivor. We have conversations about um, abuse and healthy. I shouldn't say we... The conversation is more geared to healthy, productive relationships and communication and how to respect someone's boundaries um, and being safe. Um, obviously, because me being a survivor affects my whole family, I talk to them about what it means that I'm a survivor and how it may not be safe and um, how if there's strangers around or not, we don't go with them. So that's my conversation with the 10 and 11 year old right now age appropriate and yeah. you know around safety which I think is really really important and oh and what I didn't say is with my daughter um, it's important to me it's important to me that I do not um, demonize her father um, it's important for me to explain that I loved him and I loved him for a reason and there were qualities about him that I enjoyed However, there were also things that I chose not to have in my life. And so I separated myself because she is as much her father as she is me. And yeah. I understand that if I, if I demonize him, I'm demonizing a part of her. So I've, I've learned to balance the tightrope of 
this is why I'm not with him. I don't like these qualities, but there are some beautiful qualities that you possess from your dad. That's beautiful and so important because as you said, you know, we are both of our parents yeah. and with children it can often be hard to separate like, okay, well, if you're saying mommy or daddy is bad, are you saying I'm bad, you know, because they are me. Yeah. Well said. Um, Tania wants to know, she says, I have been in a domestic violence situation. Um, we will let this be our last comment for today. I, I've been in a domestic violence situation. I'm in the process of moving out, just trying to figure out my kids, just trying to figure out my chances of getting full custody of my kids right now. We have joint custody. I live in Dallas. Um, we're currently living in the same house and he is a police officer. There's not really a question there, but maybe she just wants you to address her situation. She's in it. She's moving out. Um, she's trying to figure out her chances of getting uh, full, oh, full custody because they have joint custody and he's a police officer. Understood. Um, I want to preface it and say, you know, definitely, again, I always advise people to look at resources. You know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I don't want to on the expertise I don't have. Um, what I definitely encourage you, I see you, I honor you for your journey and for your courage, and I'm definitely pouring love into you right now as I speak. Um, definitely safety planning. So um, if she'd like, you know, you can always email me at selfdiscoverydiva at gmail.com. And um, because you are in Dallas, I do know of some resources in that area, um, and I can definitely forward them to her. Um, if the question is full custody, what I found is that um, judges do not normally smile on parents who ask for full custody. Um, even in my situation when he had kidnapped my daughter, um, my lawyer advised me still don't ask for full custody. Um, so even in my case, what happened with him was we had to um, ask for joint custody, but because of the violence, the judge honored what they call monitored visitation. And monitored visitation is where I'd walk into one side of the building, he'd walk into another side of the building, my daughter would be there, and we'd leave from separate areas. Um, in my case, my blessing was my abuser had too much pride. He was like, I won't do that. So I was like, well, therefore, he won't see her. Okay, so that was my case. So to answer full custody, um, I would definitely say talk to resources um, about that. Um, because full custody is something that you have to have a particular case for. It's, it's difficult with judges to grant full custody. So, um, but definitely you can email me and look at resources. Um, but at the end of the day, what I encourage you to hear is to plan, to safety plan. Um, a lot of the victims I work with, actually the uh, abusers are in law enforcement. Um, and I, so I have heard that concern before. Um, one of my clients now, she lives the street over from her abuser and he's local sheriff. So I mean, if she's not alone, um, there's options for you. So reach out and, and plan safely for you and your babies and I'm wishing you well. Yes, yes. And and um, there's also Tania, uh, Keisha says, I live in the Dallas area and also have resources for the young lady being abused. Keisha, can you give us um, either your email address or a way that she can get in contact with you? So see there, Tania, you're not alone. I just want to just, you know, 
pour love on you, in you, around you, surround you with grace for you having just the courage to just even step forward in this journey for you and your children. So while we are waiting for Keisha to give us her email address so that we can pass that on, tell us about the book. Where can people find it? How can they read your story and join your upcoming group and everything going on in your life, Liz J. Simpson? Okay, it's my book, you guys. Yay! And I wrote the forward. I wrote the forward because I think that she is absolutely amazing. Absolutely incredible. I've gotten 17. I counted them 17 forward requests in the past two years. And I only wrote two. And this is one of them. So <laughs> I am so I am so humbled by that. That would be like a whole hour just to pour out my love and appreciation to explain that this Forward by Abiola Abrams is a whole dream come true in itself. So I thank you, Goddess, for showing up in the light that you do and for receiving that. It was um, it was a huge thing for me, and, and I thank you for being a part of that. I really appreciate it. So um, yes, this is my book, The Puzzle Piece of Me, um, How to Find Yourself, Love Yourself, and Live the Life of Your Dreams. Um, it's a self-help memoir, so although it does share pieces of my story, it's really a 10-step blueprint, a roadmap for you to navigate your own life and really embrace your masterpiece. You can find it at thepuzzlepiecesofme.com. Um, that's where you can order it. It's uh, $14.95, so you can order it there. It's also on Kindle. So thepuzzlepiecesofme.com. Um, also, you can, I'm trying to think of the best way for people to reach me otherwise. Um, best way to reach me, I would say email because a lot of survivors like to have privacy. So you can email me at selfdiscoverydiva at gmail.com. Um, I also have a mailing list I can add you to if you'd like. Um, Diva Survivors will be launching um, hopefully in the next month, which is a huge undertaking for me. Um, I'll have so many resources from the sisterhood, the retreats, from the monthly training, the group coaching calls. So. That's a huge undertaking, but if they go to the puzzlepiecesofme.com and get the book or email me at selfdiscoverydiva at gmail.com, I can keep them in the loop. That is beautiful. Well, thank you for your work. Thank you for your magic and your light. I encourage, Tania says, thank you. Tania, I urge you to get in contact with Liz. Uh, Keisha's email address for you, Tania, is tellusyoursuccessstory at gmail.com. Tellusyoursuccessstory at gmail.com. And perhaps the two of you can also, you, uh, Keisha, you can be in contact and you can also contact and connect through Ms. Liz J. Simpson as well. Liz, you are a bright, shining, sparky, beautiful butterfly light on this planet. <laughs> and sending you huge hugs, sis. Huge, huge hugs. Thank you for this conversation. I look forward to seeing more and more of your evolution. And we applaud you, all of the puzzle pieces of you. <laughs> I love you and applaud you. Thank you, Abiola, for showing up in the way that you do in the world. And don't stop. Continue to soar. Please. Thank you, sis. Thank you. And thank you for watching. And I will see you in the next conversation. Namaste. The sacred bombshell spiritpreneur me sees, adores, and accepts the sacred bombshell in you. Bye.